Up next is school board candidate Andrew Nussbaum. As always, the Lawrence Talks podcast is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County CASA. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Let's begin there. Andrew, why don't you tell us about, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're about. Always a hard question and always, I think, an important question. I really believe in um, understanding um, people's roots, what waters them, um, what their infrastructures are, what their um, journeys and dynamics are, um, and then how we present that, how we share that, and more importantly, how we then exist and live interactively with that, with that or beyond that. So when people usually ask me that, I usually start with, well, uh, my younger brother is my daily heartbeat. Um, Him and I, I have an older brother that I'm not too close to anymore, but my younger brother and I um, have existed together since he was born. I um, had um, the experience of being um, labeled gifted in my life growing up and then intimately alongside um, his lived experience of being labeled disabled in space and place and um, with, with relative to power dynamics. So in that intimate spacing with my younger brother and with my parents who are both licensed clinical social workers and therapists, and then my older brother's a teacher and my grandma was a teacher and my great aunt who I actually call my grandma now was a teacher. And so all these different backgrounds growing up in Wichita, Kansas, going to Wichita North, um, who I am kind of became kind of um, within all of that, um, more of like a layered timeline style in terms of who I am. Um, born and raised in Wichita, um, went to KU as an undergraduate, got really involved in community relative to the education program, um, some sociology, but mostly, mostly, mostly like you and I were talking about earlier, actual engagement and connection with community members, started working at a group home, level five group home that's no longer around anymore because of budget cuts, because of austerity measures and and philosophy of state governments that didn't value the long-term relationships that we all must water and affirm and garden to, um, exist any of us, let alone those of us that have experienced compound trauma, complex trauma, or systemic um, barriers. So I worked at a group home for a couple of years during my KU experiences, went to that more than I went to classes, um, did okay in both of those spaces, right? But that really watered me with my other background, with my younger brother, with my family system, with my generational teacherness in my um, families and social work. So I was like, how do I interact with um, social working and especially social justice working and teaching? So then I interacted with that. I know that the layered timeline I'm sharing right now is more of like my vocational layered timeline. But for me, um, even as I try to in my 30s now, have more authentic boundaries and spaces and places and for myself, especially intimately, I do hope to every day exist as a pretty integrated congruent person that hopes to exist and live in values and principles and priorities in many spaces. So what I'm sharing about vocational is also how I expect and hope to show up in partnership, in family, in community, um, in institutions and structures. So long story short, out of all that, um, graduated from KU, kept working at um, the group home for a while, um, did student teaching both at Liberty um, Central Middle School. It was central at that time. And then also Free State High School was also coaching soccer and, and created community through that. What you will hear next is 
is Andrew going into a little bit about his teaching experience and some of the interesting projects he developed with his students. Um, started um, teaching at Free State High School in 2006. Taught there for about seven years, 2006 to 2013. During those years, really built relationships with people, partnerships and community. Started just as a um, social studies teacher and very quickly listened to and alongside young people themselves. They were advocating, hey, we want to go deeper. We want to ask more questions. We're sick of just knowing that the next week is a new chapter. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Because I would ask some other students that were perhaps taking other classes. I was like, hey, what are you learning about? They're like chapter three. I'm like, what does chapter three mean in history? You feel? So anyways, we've got energized. So pretty early on my um, first year teaching, two big decisions um, were made as I was also assistant coach at the time at Free State High School. But by the spring of my first um, year, listening to young people, we created this social awareness club where we would just meet and listen and advocate and be alongside each other. And hope first starting in the building and then across the world, like listen to and, and start to amplify and advocate, fundraise, community organize, community service, dot, 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 dot. And social awareness club really grew over the next six years into something pretty special. We started some pair mentoring programs with Topeka elementary students. We started some sister school relationships with um, a school in Chicago, public schools, um, and a lot of relationship based growth. And like, hopefully some little bit of pocket systemic change happened through that. At the same time, my first year, I was realizing that a lot of our more marginalized and non-white students were kind of being pushed off into an elective that was a semester long. Um, and just in that semester was African-American history and Native American history just chunked together. And they were not OK with that. A couple of teachers and I were not OK with that. So I was I advocated and, and asked into taking on another prep. Um, and that became such a special space for me, especially as we exist here nested um, in this um, indigenous land and, and space and in space and alongside community with Haskell. So by the end of my first um, teaching year and into my second started teaching Native American history. Um, where in our district we didn't have that before as its own elective, as its own space. Really tried to hold that as a space where acknowledging that I'm white, acknowledging um, my power and privilege in it, how do we then name that, notice that, and then interact with Haskell, interact with each other in the space, a very multiracial, diverse um, student population I would have in that class over the next six years. Um, so a lot of stuff grew out of that at the same time as I was still doing some of those more um, core um, history teachings, especially U.S. history. Um, so then we have um, Native American history really growing more as like a critical thinking, experiential, hopefully sociology study of ourselves, space, power, um, and counter stories. Um, so those both kept growing, growing, growing um, in a lot of different ways and kept coaching for a couple more years, really enjoyed coaching and created community and building relationship with young people. Next, Andrew discusses how these early efforts to address gaps and learning in Douglas County led to a very important decision. By like about 2009, I started um, having to make some harder decisions and I decided to stop coaching because social awareness organization club was growing so much and all the different elements of it. Native American history is becoming such a part of it to the point where I said yes into partnering with several other of my critical colleagues. And we piloted what would later become known as SLE or service learning experience, where the whole experience was based on young adults coming together, um, learning about themselves, learning about community, and then creating community impact together with each other and community 
service sites. So we created SLE service learning and out of that in the spring of 2009, Alpha piloting that, some of our young students themselves, one of their community impact projects, we call them community impact projects, also called CIP, uh, CIPs, um, they navigated and noticed and analyzed and critiqued that, ooh, our school district, our buildings, Free State High School has some structural and institutional gaps and practices and perpetuates some pretty harmful stuff like racism, sexism, ableism, dot, dot, dot. And there's some major social gaps and experience and access gaps for students that have labels of disability and students that are labeled or not labeled um, with um, disabilities or not in special education. So very organically and bottom up with students um, by, by this fall of 2010, um, Several colleagues and I um, also founded IPS, Interpersonal Skills Service Learning at Free State High School. And it very quickly grew into Lawrence High, also some of the middle schools, some other school districts around. So um, by fast forward, and I could remember this, get sentimental about this, grieve these periods of my life, and then also express so much joy and experience and complexity about all these periods of my life. And fast forwarding, to 2013, I stopped coaching soccer because I really honestly didn't prioritize if we win or lost or not. And my priorities were coming into um, other spaces of service learning experience, IPS community, um, Native American history. So by 2013, my whole day was basically service learning director. My first hour through fourth hour was the IPS community um, facilitator alongside a co-teacher at all times each hour um, where we were welcoming amplifying and then emerging together in whatever curriculum became based on peoples with identified disabilities and peoples without identified disabilities and then building relationship, closing social gaps and creating community impact together in school and in community. Um, so service learning IPS took up my whole day, but I didn't, similar to what you were talking about, some of those deeper fundamental critical questions, philosophy underpinnings, I didn't want to give up that Native American history class that we had so many deep conversations in and experienced in community together. So in 2013, was doing service learning IPS community all day long and had one hour of Native American history still. To doing all this, it was giving me so much life energy and alongsideness and relationships. However, it wasn't giving me space where I was sleeping at night, right? Or I didn't have any weekend spaces. I was full and overfilled in terms of working alongside students, staff, and um, community members so that I wasn't finding space for myself, space for intimacy, space for... Um, breathing slower or slowing down. Within his already hectic schedule, Andrew speaks of an opportunity that would take him away from Kansas, but would have a lasting impact on who he is as an educator. In 2009, um, one of my former graduates asked me to meet with a former KU student who had um, worked in the Peace Corps and a couple other communities and um, had created a community organization and then um, in Kenya. So I was asked to go over there and work um, with um, students there in high schools in, in Kenya. There's a lot of story to all this and complex story. I went in 2009, came back having listened to um, Kenyans um, that had been displaced and that were existing and living in internally displaced communities um, and hearing from them that, yeah, they're experiencing intense impact of white supremacy and imperialism and capitalism and absolute poverty and displacement because of political violence. 
And with all of that, on a daily basis, some of their most vulnerable dynamics and marginalizing experiences were from nonprofit organizations um, or charities or organizations coming in and helping them, but actually really hurting them and harming them. So I left Kenya, came back um, to the States, working again at Free State this whole time, um, dedicated to um, bringing some other young people alongside me back to Kenya and to be alongside some um, Kenyan students and their families in the um, in internally displaced communities known as IDP um, camps or communities. So I went again in 2010 during the summer under the umbrella of the other organization, stayed for much longer to start working alongside um, Kenyan leadership there, meaning youth leadership in schools to actually start advocating and amplifying their voices relative to the harms they're experiencing overall and even more specifically from um, the organization that had first invited me there. Also was welcome to go to Uganda, Tanzania. So I went to Uganda, Tanzania in the summer of 2010, went back to Kenya. And then from there, um, alongside some Kenyan youth created um, an emerging community circle organization um, called Merriam Circle um, for the next five years until 2015, 2016. So in 2013, I made some decisions to, oh, I went back and forth and had weekly um, collective meetings, decision-making, redistribution of resources and so on, um, 17 times back and forth to um, circle communities on the ground. Um, however, wasn't sleeping, wasn't taking breaks because my fall break, my winter break, my spring break, my summer break, as you're hearing me speak, was um, even more into intensive communities and working with structures of structures of education, structures of housing, structures of poverty and people within all of those, right? So in 2013, I made a decision that in a lot of ways, I actually still grieve or mourn today. I left Free State and I left Kansas and I left so many hundreds and thousands of people in these spaces and the service learning and IPS community to move to Virginia in the DC area to go work and get a master's degree at um, a place called the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, CJP. The Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, CJP, um, is nested in Eastern Mennonite University. So I went there to go be alongside other peace builders, alongside other social justice advocates, workers um, from Libya, from Haiti, from Baltimore, right? Um, from Oakland, um, from South Sudan, all these different spaces. So I moved there in 2013, was there until 2016. Did a lot of different work there relative to restorative justice, conflict transformation, got a master's degree, and more importantly, built some friendships, built some deep relationships, learned a lot about conflict mapping, stakeholder mapping, power dynamics, identity, dignity, and then especially restorative and transformative justice um, elements. However, even as I was working inside schools as a consultant or as a conflict coach or as a restorative justice practitioner and inside prisons with incarcerated peoples and with the refugee resettlement center, I was still missing the daily interaction with the young people, right? With the young adults, with high school students. I was still missing that because that is what my theory of change is, is building power, learning alongside and creating community together with young people, young adults. Despite spending a few years away from Kansas, eventually Andrew would find his way back, allowing him to continue some of the very important work he'd already started. Now it's 2016, um, and alongside um, some more personal, intimate um, sorrows during that time, I moved back to Lawrence, moved back to um, Kansas, 
coming back here going, what am I going to do? Why am I moving back here? I know my intimate and chosen family is here. I know my younger brother is here. And what else am I doing and existing here? It's 2016, really re-welcomed back into the organizing community here in the local Black Lives Matter chapter, Sisters with a Purpose, several other local organizations, let alone peoples moving on the streets, moving in the community, do a couple other things on the side to get some income during my first year back and was actually about ready to move back to the DC area to consider working in a high school there. The one I was especially interested in was Maya, Maya Angelo Academy or Maya Angelo high school in DC. However, one of my deepest and dearest friends, um, who's chosen family for me and also works in the district, um, first name Tracy said, hold on, take this one interview, take this one interview. Um, I was like, I don't know. I don't want to work in these buildings anymore. I, loved working in those buildings and I hated working in those buildings because I loved working alongside young people. And I also experienced pain and the suffering and the agony that a lot of young people's and their families and staff were going through in these spaces. So I was like, I can't go back to Freestead. I don't want to go Lawrence I. Lawrence I. There's a lot in that and possibly also ego, right? And all these sort of things coming up for me. Um, so I said yes to the interview. Um, and at the time I was working with some wonderful um, community members in the NAACP as an NAACP advocate for um, students who had been harmed by the school district and were needing advocates with them at IEP meetings and other type of um, advocacy spaces. Carrying all these experiences, um, I was part of um, the community, students, parents, community members that occupied the school board in, in the early fall or maybe um, early winter in, in 2016, um, because families, parents, and students, especially those that were non-white and, and much more marginalized systemically, were not feeling like their voices were being heard, like they're, they were not being valued, and they were definitely being overexploited, um, in a lot of ways erased in terms of school district decision-making. So I was part of the group that um, occupied the school district space. I was part of the group um, that occupied um, the city commission and, and the I think early fall of 2016. I'm bringing those up because that is on an authentic space of mine and part of my history and part of my pedagogy, part of my belief system in terms of building power and challenging systems of power that promise care and actually perpetuate um, a lot of harm. And because more recently there was rumors being spread that, oh my gosh, it was Andrew part of the group that occupied the school district that intimidated that. Um, and I was like, I was part of that. And I feel very authentic in why we were there, what my role was. My role as a white person was to actually ensure that the police that were called on brown and black families and students there, 14 police that showed up, did not enter the space, arrest anybody, and um, in their opportunity to at least represent that this space is also our space. This district is also our district and this community is also our um, community. So I did put my body in front of um, the police officers there for anybody that is wondering about those experiences or what you might be hearing um, in the community. I also was a part of um, Occupy Mass this last summer um, and, a, and so much that happened there. Uh, um, and you could ask me about any of those questions. For me, this is all interconnected to why I'm running for school board. Next, you'll hear Andrew discuss his time as secondary therapeutic special education teacher and his experiences teaching during COVID. Went to an interview um, in that summer of 2017, I guess, um, and said yes to a position that was called the um, secondary therapeutic classroom um, and became the therapeutic 
um, special education teacher for the school district. Um, not a lot of people in the school district, let alone in the community, know that we have a secondary therapeutic classroom and that for so long it was actually housed and nested in um, in Burt Nash in a partnership with Burt Nash and the school district. So in 2017, the fall of it, um, I became a therapeutic special education teacher for the district. Um, very quickly again, um, learned, believed, validated, and realized that a lot of the students, both Free State and Lawrence High students, it was a ninth through 12th grade program, who had been placed or displaced into that program had been um, harmed and hurt um, in their lives, early childhood, in so many other spaces, and in the school district. And even in the therapeutic classroom had been promised one thing and then experienced something much different. So my first year especially was just about listening, unlearning, believing, validating, and as much as possible with the young people that were at least there with me during that time, creating a space that was about trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed, trauma-validating, and um, a learning environment and a community that centered their goals, interests, brilliance, abilities, and pain. Um, and little by little was able to learn from and hire and welcome in a staff um, that um, became a lot, in a lot of, exp um, of my background or understanding, one of the most brilliant, critical pedagogical disability justice focused group of people in our education system. Um, in recent um, history. Um, also, we had a therapist in, in there. So anyways, that space was um, based in Burton Ash from 2017 to 2020. All of a sudden, here comes all these structural dynamics already occurring. And then on top of that, the layers of complexity that COVID brought or that we interacted with as COVID became our everything, right? Um, so in that first spring, when COVID led to decision makers um, shutting down the school for the spring, we tried to continue to be in a relationship, be in communication with the young people and the family systems that were so vulnerable, so on the margins of our community that we had been working with inside in physical space in, at the STC, Secondary Therapy Classroom. However, on the last day of school that spring of 2020, on like May 21st, my co-teacher and I, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant co-teacher and I, first name Kai, were asked to be in a meeting with district leadership and were told that we were being moved out of Burton Ash into East Heights. A lot of people in the community don't know what East Heights is or they remember it as an old elementary school, again, on the east side, similar to Kennedy now, um, that had been shut down many years ago now. Um, for some of the same arguments or reasons, money saving, lower student population, um, dot, 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 that Kennedy had pretty quickly this spring, it was turned into a early childhood center. So anyways, East Heights still exists as a district building. It had already been hosting a CTRAN, one of our community transition programs for 18 to 21 year olds um, with um, special education um, apparatuses. And then we, the secondary therapeutic classroom, um, were told we were going to be placed into that building. Last day of school in the midst of um, the COVID spring, first spring shutdown, and we were devastated and hurt and not surprised, but angry. And we're like, well, hold on. Isn't part of this us being in partnership with Burt Nash? Isn't part of this us being in deeper roots with our families, with our students, with our community and what we can provide in a therapeutic manner and a learning environment that centers our young people's needs? From these experiences, Andrew discusses the hard truths that were revealed about the district's priorities. 
And we learned over this last year that no, that was not in my perspective, in my experience. And I'm naming that as a um, longtime educator in this district and as somebody wanting for school board in this district um, was not what was the priorities or what was most important to school district leadership. We were placed at East Heights and I would welcome any of you to go visit East Heights or drive by it um, and, and look at that space um, compared to the College and Career Center, an academy that has been built compared to Free State, compared to Lawrence High, and think about and just wonder and see what questions it brings up about an equitable education um, or who's displaced, who's thrown out, who's forgotten in our district. Um, and so now for the, um, so then this last year, um, the secondary therapeutic classroom was displaced and housed at East Heights, which had been shut down as an elementary school many years um, before. So within this last year, as COVID dynamics were still just threatening so much, especially young people, their families and frontline staff, especially certified staff, me as a therapeutic special education teacher, witnessing the impact and the vulnerable decisions and the impossible decisions that our young people, their families and our staff um, therapist, co-teacher, co-special education teacher, and especially our classified staff, we're having to make every single day. And the decisions we were having to make as we were trying to radically prioritize the well-being of our young people as what we were needing and what we were sharing with our administrator in the building and administration at district level was consistently um, being denied, dragged out, or we were given the answer no. Eventually, later in the spring, our co-teacher was um, removed from the space and offered an opportunity, not removed necessarily, but offered an opportunity um, to not work in our space anymore going forward without like checking in about what we felt with the needs were the um, future of the SDC space need to be and um, was offered a position at, at one of the high schools. Uh, we witnessed that as a top-down decision that didn't consider, similar to the moving our program over to East Heights didn't consider the long-term relationships that are needed if we're, if we're going to call the space a therapeutic special education space, right? And the relationships that are so centered to teacher, staff, and student, and families, all these sort of things. So that decision really, um, we felt, and I felt, and experienced threatened a lot of what I at least, and we at least, had been trying to work on over the last four years. And a lot of what our district's as we care about, right? Equity, all students, one team. The students I was working with doesn't seem like they were considered part of that team. The staff I was working with definitely wasn't valued, resourced or shared or um, allowed a living wage to make sure that our team um, can exist together and even flourish together. These experiences eventually prompted Andrew to leave his job and also reflect on the time he spent in Africa. Upon this reflection, Andrew also discovered a call to service. That first time in Kenya, I was um, alongside some um, amazingly powerful young women in their school. And one of them said, you're just going to go home. You're going to da, da, da. I was like, I am. You're right. And what do you want me to take with me? Or what do I take away from this? She goes, well, remember me, tell my story and come back. So that was the foundation. That was my philosophy that challenged the daily meditation for Miriam Circle but also hopefully in other parts of my life, right? Intimately with my partner, now my wife, first name Sansara, ultimately with my younger brother and chosen family and community. And as an educator in the school district, remember me, tell my story, come back. So of course the decision to quit that I made tore me apart. 
because so many of us teachers and classified staff especially work because we do love young people. And yet we also have students in the district. And yet we also have bills to pay. And when we work without a living wage, especially classified staff, um, our love of young people starts to become something that employers take advantage of, right? Or institutions of power take advantage of. So I was like committed to remember me, tell my story and come back, but it was going to just need to look different. So I quit and then listened to a lot of young people, listened to a lot of their families, both currently and historically, and listened to my staff and didn't actually want to run for school board. Still don't really want to. And yet now I want to win because I want to remember me, tell my story and come back. Um, and this is my way, at least now, as I quit that position. And now I have a wonderful position up at KU um, as part of the KU TPE program, transition to post-secondary education, working with young adults with disabilities and ensuring that KU keeps its commitment and promise as a space of inclusion, as a space of welcoming, of belonging. Um, so now I work with KUTPE and really excited to exist in that space alongside young, young adults. Um, but I quit and decided to put my name in um, to run for school board for the same school district that I'd worked for for over a decade to remember the staff, believe staff, believe students, remember students, keep coming back in a different way, in a way that per perhaps is a positionality of power and leverage that I can hold accountable district leadership, that I can hold accountable school board, that I can hold accountable superintendent, that I can hold accountable what we present out into community in terms of PR, and then what the actual impact on people is, especially people in the classrooms and then the families that they exist with. So long story short, that's a little bit about me. That's a little bit about me and how I hope to show up in any domain, in all domains, and of course, more specifically focused on why I'm here with you today and, and running for school board. After hearing a little bit about Andrew's experiences as an educator in Kansas and elsewhere, I then asked him what he felt or what he believed to be essential to a good education. Here's what he said. Oof. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, so many of those experiences have informed my praxis, if we want to use that word, my theory of change, if we want to use that word. But more importantly than those two bigger words or fancier words is what I hope to be doing and why I hope to be doing what I'm doing. Um, for example, um, in one of the internally displaced communities, um, playing some games with four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, 12-year-olds, about 30 of us, we're playing this game where people in a circle singing a song and you could kind of run around the circle. All these other children ran up and wanting to play a game that they played so much and they happened to invite us into it. And then some of the um, young, wonderful pe um, people there started singing a song saying, make a circle, a bigger circle, make a circle, a bigger circle. And so then I brought that back with me and I learned from that and, and hopefully um, lessened my harmful impact in communities around the world and, and, and watered my positive impact in communities around the world and in my educational spaces. Um, and as an educator or teacher and or now as a school board candidate. So how do we make a circle, a bigger circle? Um, there they sung it collectively and then little by little just took a couple minutes to make the circle a little bit bigger and then all of a sudden more people played a game people were active engaged alongside each other so what I'm sharing now is just a couple examples of my understanding of edu what education can be and in a lot of ways what public education has promised 
it would be for so many people historically and in a lot of ways has been and never has been, right? So public education has always promised to make a circle, a bigger circle, to invite and welcome in students, all students, all families. How are we doing on that? Are we doing that? Um, are questions that um, I am dedicated to continuing to ask as a teacher, as an educator, as a community member, and a school board um, member. Um, I believe, similar to how that um, a lot of my students currently and, and historically, but also remember me, tell my story, come back. Like, instead of having core curriculum um, that is um, all about high stakes, high stakes testing. I believe in education that is experiential. I believe in education that is about critical thinking, um, critical depth, um, understanding connections between, if we're talking about history, right, um, the period before the Great Depression and the period we're in right now, instead of saying chapter three. Right. Um, and I believe that young people, young adults, especially middle schoolers, especially high school students, love learning. And yet most of the time, for some real valid reasons, don't like school. Right. So what about learning do they like and asking questions and going deeper and unpacking and making sense of their identity and their life experiences and the community around them? What can we learn from that and lead let our educational spaces grow and learn and lead that way instead of creating spaces of control, instead of creating spaces of classroom management, instead of cre creating spaces of punitive discipline. Um, so my educational background is one of um, that restorative justice is a pedagogy, not a classroom management um, um, strategy. Um, that education is about centering um, young people collectively and individually, um, not about um, in a vacuum having students have IEP goals without acknowledging that we don't have the staff or the resources to meet those goals, let alone some of those goals um, are occurring because of the lack of belonging and lack of inclusive spaces in our high school, in our schools. There's this school of thought that uh, you, you hear it all the time, that the purpose of the education, especially public education, is to produce good citizens. Like that's one that's one approach. Uh, and I think I think you you did answer this a little bit, um, but I'm not sure if, if re, restating the question like that. You know, what is it? What does it mean for you to provide a good education to the youth, um, or at least what do you want them to? What do you want them to take away from uh, from an educational experience? I appreciate you asking that. Even more specifically, using that frame that some people, and I think maybe is even in, the, um, or at least used to be in our district, um, like vision or mission statement to produce um, good citizens. That has not been my goal ever. As an, educate, as an educator, as a social justice educator, as an educator that believes that Black Lives Matter in schools, as an educator that believes in disability justice. First off, not all students that go to Lawrence Public Schools are citizens, right? So that statement already is isolating, damaging, and erasing, right? And then also produce good citizens. What does good mean? What biases, assumptions, world viewings are we carrying in that? So... For me, working alongside a student or in a classroom, like I have done both of those for many years, it was about um, believing the experiences students have had, also as being as trauma-sensitive, trauma-sport as much as possible, and then working in relationship-based ways to create learning environments where the students themselves, the classroom spaces, 
and then the school culture can, as much as possible, um, create, amplify, water, affirm, or at least get out of the way of people becoming the most authentic versions of themselves as possible in terms of graduating, in terms of goals, in terms of college or career, in terms of critical thinking, in terms of community impact. I don't know if that means good citizen or not, but I know that term kind of makes me worried or anxious, right, when it's used by institutions onto people. Um, so that has been my educational philosophy. How do we um, work alongside as facilitators, as holders of, of um, experience, as amplifiers of building power? How do we work alongside students and in classrooms and in environments and institutions to make space and community um, places where students themselves can become the fullest version, the most critical version, the most um, authentic version of themselves. And one of the, uh, this next question is kind of about the dynamic of being part of a, of a school board. Uh, this, this first question is kind of about the more holistic view of what it means to be a member of the school board. So, right. There's so in, in, in some parts, this question might seem like I'm just asking you, you know, what do you think your role of a school board member is? Like, I, I'm not looking for the paper version. I'm not looking for, you know, what what the job description says, right? And so I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about what do you find to be uh, a part of the role of a school board member that may go beyond the initial sort of paper description? Mm, thank you for um, asking that question and specifically even saying I'm not looking for the paper description because I don't even know what the paper description says. I'll be honest about that. I know some of the functionality. I know some of the responsibilities. I know um, about some of the apparatuses um, that a school board member is expected to interact with. However, I am more interested in acknowledging um, the positionality of the position, the leverage of the position, the power of the position, because we hold multiple powers and multiple responsibilities at the same time. So as a school board member, it's going to be my responsibility to listen to community, right, and um, hold accountable district, right, so kind of intake and then decision-making or holding accountable, monitoring and evaluating. So for me, a lot of the more functional logistical policy-making decisions, votes during a school board uh, meeting really come down to um, me, similar to what you've shared, being a bridge or at least a watering hole where actual people in the community and in the district, especially those most directly affected, um, can feel that they can more safely exist, more authentically exist and share their actual experiences at the same time as then I, as a school board member, am responsible to hold our district, the whole school district, and especially our district leadership and the superintendent accountable to the community that our school district staff and then superintendent and district leadership um, serve. So that relationship there as a school board member, I think is extremely serious, extremely vital and um, important. I'm not sure if it says that in the paper description. That is what um, is really important to me, especially as an educator and now more recently as a foster parent of a um, recent um, USD 497 um, graduate. As in this next question is sort of 
more because you mentioned earlier, you know, there's there's certainly some issue uh, that the that Lawrence, the Lawrence community and, and the school district is experiencing some issues regarding equity, representation and fully in giving or providing a voice for those marginalized or a platform for those marginalized voices. At the same time, do you, do you find that to be be more the case that we're not living up to the values of uh, the community? Um, and if not, what do you take to be the values uh, that the community wants to instill in its educational uh, sort of institutions? Mm, what a critical question and such an important question here in, in Lawrence, Kansas. I think it's a both and. I think that of the stated values and of the stated mission and vision and of the stated strategic goals and of the stated equity policy that the board wonderfully came out with um, very recently, those themselves need to be monitored, evaluated, unpacked. And, and then how do we actually vote as school board members and make decisions as school board members that always prioritize those stated values, principles, and goals. So I think already there's a disconnect between what is stated and what some of the educational values of this community, if it's possible to have universal values as a community in our school system, are already there's a disconnect. Um, so holding that to account, prioritizing that always, especially if we're talking about equity, marginalized populations, staff-wise, student-wise, and family-wise. And I think it's important to name, and it's something that I as a social justice educator, as a special education teacher, intimately with my brother, and then also as a history teacher in this community, believe is important to unpack ourselves here as Lawrence, Kansas. Um, we like to share in Lawrence, Kansas, that we are more progressive than the rest of the state, that we are more liberal than the rest of the state. Okay, how is that actually impacting people in our school, in our classrooms, and in our community? Well, the reality is, even off of 12 years of equity work in our school district, even off of so many other policies and practices, our classified staff doesn't earn a living wage. That's not more progressive than the rest of Kansas. That's not more advanced or more liberal. So then I start to wonder, like, what are our values in our community? What are what we actually prioritize when we actually start to look at impact and our out of school suspensions and in school suspensions and contact with police are painfully and disproportionately predictable relative to nine white students, queer students, special education students, and brown and black students, right? More than the national average, we have um, systemic racism, systemic classism, systemic ableism, and stuff in our schools, in our classrooms happening today onto people's bodies, onto people's experiences. So, one thing I'm worried about in Lawrence, Kansas, is that we, to continue to feel possibly better about ourselves, we, we're the blue spot in a red state. So then we say that, we share that. So then when more complex truths come out, when more complex dynamic come out of the actual experiences, actual outcome, actual data, actual impacts on populations that have historically been oppressed and are currently still um, being um, at, uh, marginalized, we aren't better, right, in terms of OSS, in terms of ISS, in terms of punitive discipline, in terms of actually paying our certified and classified staff, um, in terms of actually redistributing resources 
to the classroom, to students, to families, to frontline staff. Um, so I, as a historian, as a teacher, as a brother, as somebody running for the school member, want us to keep asking, what do we really actually value here in Lawrence? What do we actually value and want in our school districts? Because the reality is there's a lot of people that want and need a living wage and want and need public education to be a space of well-being and to be able to graduate and to go to college or start a career. And for a lot of systemic reasons that are happening across the country, in our state, and in Lawrence, they aren't happening. It's not occurring here. So we, I am of the belief that we got to go more deep and more critical and say, why not? What is it? And acknowledging that maybe it is us, that maybe we also are complicit in perpetuating all of this. Um, and only if we can have, like you shared earlier, deeper conversations, deeper um, critical communication, can we potentially name that we like to think we're a little bit better even, right? Or different. Um, and maybe we're not. And if we can start at that actual origin point, then potentially we have the possibility of doing better, of doing more, of actually following through with what the stated mission statement, vision statement, strategic goal and equity policy are for our school district. So I'm going to ask the two final questions here. Um, first one, you mentioned in your just in your response right now, you mentioned well-being, you know, it, it well-being of the staff and the students is part of the five-year plan of, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an explicit part of the uh, five-year plan of this, that the school board mentions. And it's, uh, it's recently re released plan. You as a, if you were to be on the board, you have the task of determining what that looks like. So if, if, uh, if you were to be on a board, what to you do you, uh, Vaguely or broadly speaking, do you think it well-being will look uh, looks like or should look like for students and staff? Hmm. Thank you, David. Um, I want to be able to have like a perfect answer for that, and I don't. But I'm gonna keep processing how I'm gonna be able to answer that. What I do know is what well-being doesn't look like, right? And all the stuff I've been sharing today, and all the stuff I just shared about what is happening in our schools, in our classrooms, and with people, onto people relative to certified staff, classified staff, and students, especially special education students, non-white students, that's not well-being. And that needs to be acknowledged, named, faced, placed, and worked on, and prioritized. So I'm not exactly sure what well-being is. My guess is that well-being means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. My hope and my expectation, and hopefully my background, demonstrates that my pedagogy, my life purpose is about being alongside people, being along others, people, connecting them together, connecting partnerships together, connecting community together to then for them together to decide what well-being looks like for each individual and collectively in a classroom, in a school, school and in a school district. I don't necessarily know what well-being looks like specifically, but I definitely know what it doesn't look like. And the reality is um, I have teachers texting me every day too scared to say it publicly because they're scared of district leadership backlash of risking their jobs, but telling me the reasons why they're going to quit. That's not well-being, right? I, I was a therapeutic special education teacher for four years. I definitely know what well-being doesn't look like. And yet I also know what well-being can feel like 
based on what I've experienced and learned from with young people, staff, families, and students. Well-being, now I'm trying to answer it, I guess. Um, well-being probably feels like what I was talking about earlier, um, a sense of like belonging, a sense of value, a sense of agency, a sense of that I am seen here. Um, I um, can exist here. Oh, I'm learning here. And I'm talking about students now, but also families, right? Um, I had families, well-being. I don't know how to define it necessarily, but I definitely have experienced in my own life now with my partner, with intentional family, with chosen family, alongside young people's, alongside family systems, what well-being can feel like and definitely what it doesn't look like. Well-being centers joy. Well-being um, centers safety. Well-being centers um, being able to feel congruent and authentic and belong. And that is possible in our school buildings. That is possible in our classrooms and it is possible in our school district. Um, so I'm happy and I'm glad that that has been put on the um, strategic plan explicitly. And one of my roles as a school board member, if I'm voted into that position is to say, Hey, woo, we put one of our goals is well-being. We better spend time on that time structurally. What does that look like in terms of resources? What does that look like in terms of leadership? What does that look like in terms of um, positions and people and policies? Well-being. We're talking about well-being. What does that look like structurally? But what does that also feel like in a classroom? What does that feel like individually? What does that feel like for certain populations that exist in our school district? So I'm excited that that is on the um, five-year strategic plan. And I'm ready, ready, ready to hold ourselves to statements that we believe in equity, to statements that we believe in social and emotional, the statements that we believe in all students, one team, and to definitely the statement that we believe um, and are working towards well-being. Because I'm still not sure what that is going to look like institutionally, but I definitely know what it hasn't been institutionally. So I'm ready to um, be on the school board and, and work on that with you. Andrew, thank you uh, again for uh, joining me here today and providing the full picture of your candidacy and what you stand for and how you plan to take all your experiences and apply it to the role of, the school, of, of a school board member. So thank you for being here and I appreciate the conversation we've had. Thank you, David, so much again. And thank you for taking the time to be alongside and be with and welcome deeper answers and deeper questions in the community we live in. So thank you so much, David.